What is going on, folks? Welcome to Costly Conversations. I'm super excited because we have the one and only Phil Smith in the house. Just a quick matter of housekeeping. If you're not already aware, go ahead and join us on the Patreon because we're doing some awesome stuff over there, having our, our community. And of course, if you love the shirts, go ahead and check out some of the Costly Freedom shirts. Um, Glockbay.com. Check out the Armed Atlas collection. Without further ado, Phil Smith, welcome. Glad to be here, man. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, sir. Now, for those of you who don't know, we actually did a, a quick conversation with the, the one and only Phil Smith, president uh, and uh, founder of NAGA, the National African American Gun Association. Um, now, we just wanted to have a, a conversation because you've been doing some really cool stuff. People have questions about, um, I guess, the organization as a whole, the impacts that mm -hmm. it's been making, and of course, you know, uh, um, what the plans are for the future. I've actually gotten a few questions um, just in my DMs like, oh, you're going to do this interview? Like, ask him about this. And of course, I'm hopeful okay. people are in the audience. And once we kind of get to uh, the end of our conversation, we can bring in some of the some of the audience questions and comments as, as you guys fire those in. So sure. without further ado, Phil Smith, could you tell us a little bit about why you started NAGA? And then we'll go from there. When I first started out, and now just let everyone know, I come from a, a background of no guns at all. I was born and raised in a little town called Vallejo, California, attended UC Berkeley and UC Davis. I mean, my background was pretty much working in Silicon Valley. So I come from a completely different um, world. And when I got married uh, in 2002, 2000, excuse me, um, I married a country girl. And one of the first things she wanted me to do was to move down south, which we did to Atlanta. And we have been here ever since uh, 2002 until now. Um, when I started the organization, I had the I was lucky enough to go with two guys I worked with and they exposed me for the first time um, at the range what it was to shoot a gun. And I had a great time. And from that moment, I felt if I could have a great time and I had a great time. I was there about two hours shooting everything. ARs, 357, 44 mags, um, shotguns nine millimeter, 380. If I could have a good time, I was having a good time. I know other African-Americans like myself would love to do that. They just needed a bridge, somebody that could hand it, hand them a, an olive branch, so to speak, to pull them in. And once we pull them in, they would be able to get trained, relax, um, be, become fully aware of the Second Amendment, um, the laws that are, that are present. And the most important thing, they would get trained on how to shoot a gun the correct way. And so when I put the organization together, very simplistically, I wanted an organization that spoke to our folks first and foremost, culturally. Um, and the reason why that's so important, and it doesn't matter what culture you're speaking to or, or about, folks have a tendency to feel comfortable with something that they are familiar with. So if you look at our website now, it gives a good history about the history of black arms, Tuskegee Airmen, Buffalo Soldiers, Harriet Tubman, um, all those great folks um, that preceded us die for us in many, many cases so we can have this conversation today. So if you look at that information and you see that a gun was utilized in emancipating uh, or the attempt to emancipate themselves um, throughout history for, the, for us in this country, it's very, very important that we realize that a firearm in the Second Amendment is ours, just like everyone else. And we need to embrace that and become familiar with, with a gun so we can protect our families, our life, our, 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 our community and our loved ones. And that's what we set out to do. We are not political at all. We have a 501c4, 
we accept any and everybody from any background. Um, I don't care if Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, I don't want to vote ever, <laughs> grumpy, uh, you name it, we have that particular person in our organization. So we're very, very proud of that. And I think that's the reason why people still join the organization and they feel comfortable because we don't have any political litmus test for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for getting into that and really sharing the, the heart and the impetus behind creating a, a space that doesn't necessarily identify with a political party, doesn't necessarily do um, a lot of the things. I, I love how you mentioned, you know, even if you're grumpy, we'll still accept you because the fact of the yeah. matter is there's people from every walk of life. And if you can't yeah. find a place for them in the, in the two a family, well then, yeah. you know, is they're, they're going to be without oftentimes anyways, sometimes you need that person like you, like you had who was able to kind of bring you in and, you know, take you to the range for the first time and not make it a big deal Correct. that you do this or you do that, but just bring you to the range. Yeah. Just shoot. Yeah. And, and just to let everyone to know what, let everyone know that we really stress that we're all part of the two way community. Um, that's something that really can't be stated enough. Um, I think oftentimes it's kind of overlooked um, that we're all separate, but we're not. We all believe in guns. We all believe in advocating uh, for the, the ability to protect ourselves. And I think that's very, very important uh, for everybody. Um, that's part of the 2A family. So it's something I, I really believe in being collaborative. I reach out to other organizations. They reach out to us. Um, I'm very welcoming. They have been very, very welcoming as well. So. It's, it's critically important that you have the two A component um, always talked about at the forefront of everything. Absolutely, yeah, and it's um, it, it is kind of a, an interesting space having a an organization that is specifically called the National National African American Gun Association. So it almost sounds Correct. exclusionary, though. In the past, you and I have actually spoke about the the fact that there are non Black members in the organization. And oh, uh, yes, we have over, we have over, we have over two thousand white members. We have a surging Latino and Asian membership as well. So mm -hmm. even though we are focused, you know, 90% of our folks, but 95% are African-American and that's the focus always, we have other folks that want to join us in, a, in that journey that we're taking. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good thing. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why folks join us because they know they can join regardless of their own background. And there's no, as I said before previously, there's no political or racial litmus test that you have to go through. You don't have to walk alike. You don't have to talk alike. You don't have to think alike. You can be yourself um, and be accepted. And that's the the key. I think that's the secret sauce, to be quite honest with you, uh, when you're looking at our organization, why it's so popular. Yeah. Well, it's it's not the Q&A section yet, but somebody did ask in the comments, how do you know the race of, of each member? Is it like on the on the entrance um, questionnaire? Or sure. Yeah. Sure. We want to we track everybody that joins your organization. I think it's critically important not to use it as any type of barrier because we don't we, we just want to collect information because i, I want to be able to say hey right now we have fifty-one thousand members of those fifty-one thousand, forty-two percent are women 58 percent are men as of you know yesterday um let's digging down deeper we have 2500 white members we have over 800 asian members i think that's important to know so you can speak to those different groups um if if it need be so uh, that, that's something I really believe in, um, knowing who your membership is and being able to speak to them and making them feel comfortable because no one wants to be alienated. Nobody wants to feel like they're not welcome. And that's something we really work hard um, at, at the National African Gun Association. Everybody's welcome. 
Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is, uh, I know one topic that you really did want to dive into, but before we get there, I do want to ask one or two questions just to kind of make sure that sure. we cover these. Um, this one was sent to me earlier and it's the, it's the question of the political involvement of NAGA. Um, yeah. specifically like kind of where, what is the direction of NAGA's political, I guess, arm in the sense that you, yeah. you did go to, um, the house and you spoke before committee in the past Correct. and obviously you don't have to take a political side to speak to, um, the, the consequences of, uh, of gun laws and of um, infringements and restrictions and things like that, that directly impact the people that are your members, your members specifically. Mm -hmm. So how does NAGA plan on being more involved or is this like the, the, the limit on how involved you'd like to be? Is there a, okay, yeah, we're going to get behind this candidate because I know with the, the 501 C four, there's some limitations with that. Um, yeah, let's speak to that. Can you can you speak freely on that? You know, it's 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 um it's a, a issue, but it's a good issue or a problem, but it's a good problem. We've gotten to the point we are very very good as an organization in building chapters. I mean, we are very good at that. We know how to vet the uh, person that wants to be a chapter president. We know how to set them up for success. He or she goes out and they do really really well. We have very large chapters with over a thousand people in them. Um, so we're good at that. The question becomes. What do we do in terms of expanding our voice, expanding our imprint in our community? I believe, and I've, I've always said that at some point in time, we are going to have to have a political voice. Not within NAGA, because that's not how we're structured, but we're talking about a PAC, a political action committee or a trade association where we don't back politicians, but we do back policy that supports the Second Amendment and defends the Second Amendment. I think that's critical to have that conversation at some point within our organization. Are we going to do that or not? I, it is my hope that we will do that at some point, but it will look different. It will not be a part of NAGA, but it will be indirectly, um, gr you know, growing from NAGA. It will be, you know, you know, um, birthed from NAGA. I think it's critically important that we are able to look at politicians and give them grades as it applies to the Second Amendment. I think it's critically important that as a, a organization, we can look at certain gun laws, like I'll give you an example of the red flag laws and be able to dissect it for our membership. And in theory, it sounds like a great idea, but there are some problematic issues of the gun law, the red flag law, because it's so vague. It can be used in any way, shape or form, right. depending on who you are weaponizing. And I use those terms very carefully and directing it to. Uh, right. So our, our, our goal is to make sure our folks are educated at every level, at an intimate level, um, and the, only, and the only way that I think we can do that long term is that we have to dip our foot into the political arena, but not with NAC. It's going to have to be a, a, a separate, <clears throat> excuse me, separate organization built um, to, to to have that discussion, to be able to have really rigid and very raw conversations with our folks. And sometimes, let's be honest, some of those conversations are very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. They are very, very difficult to 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 deliver to, to your folks or dare have them costly. deliver it to you. Yeah. Bart, say that again? I said, dare I say costly. Oh, and very costly, very costly, because make no mistake about it. When you get into those waters, those are deep waters and you automatically become enemies of one side or the other, depending on how you evaluate things. So that's something that has to be thought out carefully. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to, there was a, a social media post that Naga had put up that 
seem to endorse one politician over the other, and I'm sure there is some sort of issue with that. I'm, I'm not sure that it was intentional, but I know that uh -huh. it really stirred the water in regards to uh -huh. people feeling alienated instantly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you have to be very careful. I mean, you can have the most innocent post in your mind and somebody might take it or a large group of people in your organization might take it. Well, they're leaning this way or that way. So what we have to do is we have to be we have to check and double check and triple check to make sure that when you're putting information out for NAGA, I'm, so, I'm speaking for NAGA now, mm -hmm. um, that it, it is very objective and it's neutral down the line. Um, and that's what we've been able to do pretty successfully. We've had a couple of posts over the last seven years that kind of like, like you just stirred the pot, had folks wondering what was going on, but we've always been able to clear any issues up with, with me explaining exactly what we're trying to do or the intent. Um, sometimes we make mistakes in terms of not wording it correctly, uh, but I think we've got it down to a science where we're, we're very efficient at uh, speaking to the issues at a very you know, detailed, detailed level. Yeah. So in regards to, um, I suppose that that second arm of, of MAGA's heart, which is to speak to gun laws, um, whatever the uh -huh. secondary organization is, because you're saying you can't really do it so much with NAGA because of the way it's set up. Am I, am I right? Correct. Because NAGA has to be neutral. Yes. It has to be. So with that, how outside of NAGA, NAGA hat's coming off, going over to uh -huh. Bill Smith and this new organization that you'd like to develop, how is uh -huh. it? Um, I suppose, how do you, how do you speak to that, to the African-American voter who's saying like, Hey, I'm interested in, in voting. I've been voting for years. I've either voted Democrat for years or I haven't voted cause I, you know, two snakes or two heads on the snake, you know, you know, that conversation we, yeah. we had it a oh, million yeah. times. Um, yeah. so it was brought, it was brought to my attention today. There was this question that said like, Hey, there are some politicians that we feel like just the collective we are bad for African Americans, bad for black people in the sense that they don't seem uh -huh. to have the interest in mind. Their, their statements are insensitive. They, they don't, they're, they're more culture warriors in a sense than really compassionate yeah. in the way that they view um, the people group of, of black Americans. And, uh -huh. But yet they're super, super pro 2A and it's like, oh man, we love these people. Or we, we love firearms rather. How do you, how do you distinguish, like, how do you, how do you, is that like a single issue thing for, for you more specifically? Or like, how do you, I guess, determine if that is somebody that you can vote for? For me personally, I believe 2A. Yeah. Quite simple. I mean, if, if a, a candidate, um, is not looking positively positively on on the second amendment and the rights that are afforded to all americans then i'm gonna have serious questions about that person i'm not gonna say i'm i'm not gonna support them but i'm certainly going to educate them if i had a chance to talk to them mm. um regarding the the larger picture as far as an organization being developed that's a conversation that has to be really built out from the from inside out and it has to be done over multiple conversations with multiple people um, over a long period of time, because this some, it can't be something that just Phil Smith says, hey, we want to have a trade association. Close doors and have serious conversations on how that looks, because one trade, trade association is not um, a replication of another one. They're all different. And how we would form that is a very, very 
um, deep conversation that we need to have. So um, I, I think we need to have it. I, in fact, I, I would say this, I think we're doing our community a disservice long-term, not the interim, long-term, if we don't have a voice that speaks to um, those folks in power up, at, up in DC where I, where I had my uh, Senate testimony. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of going to DC, you know, mm-hmm. giving your testimony, uh, I recently had um, a few conversations with some people who are really involved in the political side of the Second Amendment, such as Diana yeah. Muller, such as Rhonda Ezell, who, if you're familiar yeah. with Rhonda, she, she's done a lot of work in yes. fighting uh, Chicago's anti-2A laws, suing the city twice. Her and her organization have done it many times. And then that case being referenced in the Bruin case um, for mm. New York. New York being one of the, having some of the most restrictive gun laws in the country next to California yeah. and some of the islands and whatnot that people don't, people don't think about the islands, but there are plenty of islands that are territories of the U S who have incredible gun laws. So I know that the Bruin case is, is currently on your heart. What about that case is significant for you and in, in the direction that we're going as a country and as, as, uh, as NAGA is going. Just, I mean, me personally, it was, it was incredible because that, just to give everyone an education, if you, if anyone listening to me doesn't understand the Van Bruin case, um, what it allowed people to do in New York, or hopefully they can do it, even though they're having all these other secondary laws being placed on them now, um, it allowed them to take a firearm for the first time that they had a right to have and have a license, but they can now conceal carry and go out into the public setting and protect themselves, went out in public. Prior to Van Bruin in New York, you could not do that. You could own a gun, and even that was a very difficult process. Let, let, let's face it, but that gun had to stay at home. So you could have a gun, protect yourself at home, but when, let's say, you want to go to the store, you want to go take a, a late-night jog, or you want to go to a movies or do something uh, with your wife, or you got off late at night, got off late at work, um, and wanted, wanted to go to your car, you had no protection. So Van Bruin lifted that that obstacle and said, you know what? You don't have to be a special person. You don't have to be a high profile entertainer or a rich person only to get a gun. The normal everyday citizen has that right under the Second Amendment to protect themselves when they leave their home. And that's the critical part of Van Bruin. You can leave your home and have a gun to protect yourself. Prior to Van Bruin in New York, you could not do that. Um, and I think that was instrumental and people, I don't think, understand the enormous um, importance of that on a national level, because that really shook things up on a national scale. States that were very, very um, prohibitive um, to their normal everyday citizen had to rethink uh, things, even though New York and California are steadily trying to introduce new gun laws that I think will be overturned, um, you know, obviously, because the way um, the state, I mean, the, the, the court is currently structured. But the Van Bruin case allowed folks to carry that gun outside of their home for the first time in New York, which is which is huge. And to me, and this is just my own personal jab at it, anytime you don't want to have your or allow your folks to protect themselves, I think we as a community of folks in the 2A community need to really look at that that politician or, or those folks in power and say, why don't you want me to protect myself? Why can't I protect my wife, my kids? 
Why can't I prevent my wife and my children from being raped? What is wrong with that if I'm a law-abiding citizen? And, and that, that's the thing I want people to really start spinning in their head uh, in terms of the value of understanding when somebody does not have your best interest at heart. Yeah, no, that's, um, it is an interesting question. And I never want to assume that it's somebody has a, a, a bad motivation for their, their opinions on gun laws. Mm -hmm. I generally assume that people are coming from uh, what they call a good place, even if it's kind of a controlling place. Cause we all have that friend who's a little overly controlling anybody who's, who's married maybe has, has felt that vibe and, or Correct. people who have parents. Um, and the question is like, where is the line between control and helping? Because, okay, we, we have discussions about red flag laws and some of them are, um, generally considered bad in the 2A community. Like if you say red flag yeah. laws, people in the 2A community, they're going to cringe a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. And they but, should. Yes. Now, obviously the idea that like, Hey, if somebody is genuinely a, a threat, should we be able to say like, Hey, like what are some things that we can do to stop you from going and, and hurting children? Let me, let me respond to that. That's a great, the way you've kind of teed that up. In theory, I'm going to be very, very uh, transparent here uh, and, and candid, as, much, as candid as I possibly can. In theory, the red flag law, in theory, sounds great. Somebody's acting crazy. They're mentally unstable. Um, they are a danger to themselves, their family, or their general public. We should prevent that person from taking a gun and shooting them. In theory, that sounds great. But unfortunately, the way the, the law plays out in, in real time in actual society it becomes weaponized. And I'll give you a perfect example. And everyone listening to me can certainly understand the example I'm about to give them. Let's say you and I are neighbors. And one night you come out, you're just locking your car up and putting, you're pulling your garage door down and you look across the street and you see me and my wife having this horrible argument. And I'm throwing stuff down and I break my back window of my car. Um, and I, I just, I'm just look like I'm, I'm crazy. And you go back in the house and tell your wife, oh, my God, I see Philip. He, he's, he's looking unstable. We need to call the police. I mean, he's got guns, too. So he's, you know, he's, oh, my God, what are we going to do? So, of course, the police come. They, they look at my situation. Um, little do, does everyone know, my wife and I just had a big blowout. We're a couple, a young couple. Emotions get high sometime. Um, everybody says what they have to say. Then they go back in the house. Makeup kiss. Everything's great. But meanwhile... We get a knock at the door and the police are coming in and really questioning me on my sanity. Um, they're trying to gauge, um, am I a, a safe person to have firearms? One of the fire, one of the policemen might say, hey, you know what? I think Philip is a danger. So the next day they go to the court, they do a emergency order to remove my guns over an argument my wife had had, just over, over an argument. So they come, they grab my guns, they take it away. Now it's a very tough process for me to prove my sanity because the red flag law has been weaponized. And I want everyone to understand it. It's been weaponized to take my guns from a law-abiding Second Amendment uh, believer and, and advocate of constitutional carry like myself. That's not right. That's the, the problem with the red flag law. It's too vague. It allows too many bad things to happen to good people. And that's why I'm not an advocate of it um, at all. Um, do I believe... Bad people should uh, not have guns. Of course I do. I have, I'm a, I'm a husband. 
I have a wife, I have children, uh, I have a grandchild. Of course I would. We want them to be safe. But you can't go about the law just kind of throwing something at the at the wall and hoping that it kind of fits and will kind of work through it. Um, that that's a very dangerous thing. Hmm. Yeah. So you know, I've actually heard conversations about this guy in Colorado who, you know, he got into a little bit of a a, 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 a mix up. No mm-hmm. one got hurt, but someone said, "Oh, he's a danger." And I've I've heard in multiple situations where a spouse has you know, gotten a little bit vindictive and was like, Hey, I think this guy's a danger with no actual proof, just, correct, correct. you know, uh, um, word of mouth. And I don't want what I'm saying to be misinterpreted as, Oh, I'm not interested in, in protecting and defending the lives of domestic violence victims who may or may not have proof because I, I've known, I've actually known someone who, who tragically was murdered in a domestic violence situation because of um, a, a psychotic boyfriend who she kind of left him and then went back and left as, as yeah. young lovers do young girl. Um, and one night, I guess he, the guy just hit his limit and murdered her and then killed himself. And now mm-hmm. her, her oh, poor mother that. is mourning every day. I see the messages, see the post, see the new yeah. organization, the, the, the tributes to her life. And it's sad. So I don't want it to be misinterpreted that I'm I'm callous against these people. But like right. you said, there is a, a certain, and, and like some of the commenters have said, there's a certain level of due process that you have to have. Correct. Before you just go in and say, oh, by the way, we're going to take your guns away. You're going to pay, in some situations at least, you're going to pay for us to have them. And then it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to prove to us, you're going to prove to us, it's like a reverse U.S. justice system. Correct. That... You actually, and it's costly, <laughs> very costly. Unfortunately, so. Yeah. You know, can I make one more comment regarding yeah, that? Just, I, I think it's one thing uh, people really don't realize. Imagine how the red flag law can be applied or weaponized in the toward the black community, the hood, quote unquote, where there are folks, blue collar folks, just trying to make ends meet that have firearms. Um, how do you think that exchange between law enforcement and them will take? will take place. It will be very, very stressful, um, very tense. And, and I will say, for the most part, I think um, our people, our community will lose out on that and they will lose their guns. Um, that's why I'm not a fan of red flag laws at all. Um, do I want to see, just to your point, do I want to see everyone safe? Absolutely, I do. Because I have children, I have a daughter and a son I want and a wife, and I want them safe at all times. But having said that, we need to make sure that um, we have a law that's fair, that's balanced, and at the same time, it protects society as well as the, those folks that believe in the Second Amendment. Yeah, definitely. Now, obviously, if somebody has, um, I've heard of um, that if a police believes that you are mentally a danger to yourself, that they mm-hmm. can actually bring you in under what they call like a 24-hour hold, and you can be Correct. psychologically evaluated. And at that point, there's there's actual there's some process. It's not necessarily due process in, in the sense that we are familiar with where you, uh-huh. you get your court date, you go to court, or if you're actually making threats, you can go to jail under certain pretense. Um, but at least there's some process there. Uh-huh. So I'm not, I'm not sure what, what hand NAGA or NAGA's, I don't want to say subsidiaries, but different um, branches or arms that can do other things and really can, 
petition for certain laws, but how I guess does is there any sort of uh, uh, plan or is this even a, a thought that um, you, Phil Smith, can be involved in trying to make adjust the overcorrection of red flag laws? One thing I tell all of our members, I tell the executive team, I tell everyone that I get a chance to talk to, have conversations like you and I are doing tonight, yeah. collectively with your family, your friends, your associates, your your sphere of influence with all your friends, and let them know how you feel about things about about the law. They may not be aware of it. Mo a lot of folks don't. And that's the best start of, of this conversation. There isn't a silver bullet that can solve everything like that. It doesn't exist because people are different, um, different lives, different situations. It's very, very complicated. And that goes to the heart of the issue regarding the red flag law. There are so many nuances. One officer might think you're sane. Another officer might think you're, you're, you know, you are a, a danger to society. Um, and that's the danger itself in the, in the, in the red flag law. So Many more conversations to come. Obviously, you know, we have a long way to go, but we're certainly willing to have that conversation. Yeah, most certainly. Most certainly. So we've we've talked about the Bruin case. Um, we've we've kind of got into some other things. So was was there was there anything about that? Anything else about the Bruin case that you wanted to touch on? I know we kind of got onto red flag laws. No, it's, it wasn't so much the, the Bruin case, just the process of testifying on on, on at the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, you hear about it, you know, being the, just a normal citizen like you and I are, how polarized it is in Washington, but it is very, very true. Um, and I think we're at a dangerous place where folks don't even talk to each other. And I, this is just me. Um, I think we need to have conversations. When you stop having conversations um, regarding guns and you automatically assume they are bad um, just because someone else likes to have a gun and they like to go shoot competitively or hunt, that's a bad thing. And I think and for a lot of people, we're getting to that point. Um, there needs to be some collaboration. And as I, as I tell everyone, we need to have tough conversations. Tough conversations don't make you comfortable. Yeah. Tough conversations don't make you feel good. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes tough conversations make you mad as hell. But that's okay. You need to have those conversations. I had a conversation with a young lady after the Senate testimony. And she said, well, Philip, you can't believe in AR-15s. And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And she looked at me like, well, you know, people are being killed. And I said, man, hold on. My people have been, been getting have been getting killed for a long time. For most black folks in the country, they're born between a rock and a hard place. We have to fight our way up. So there's no monopoly on pain. There's no monopoly on your side only. We have pain too. I choose to have an AR-15 in my home because I believe it's the best firearm to protect my family, bar none. Yeah. And, and when I said that to her, she was just like in shock that, you know, I really believe what I said. And I did. And she got to walk away, but I let her know that you don't have a monopoly on anything. This is a two-way conversation. Wow. Um, and you, I may not like what you're saying, which I didn't. I didn't believe it at all. But you have to listen to what I say, even though you think it might not be palatable. Now, that's um, that's fantastic that you said that, just because it's it's what you what you just said, where it's it's not a monopoly in the conversation. A lot of times, where you have this 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 anti-gun person, this this, right. this specter of anti-gunness. Shows uh -huh. up to the conversation and says, "You know, you don't care about the kids, and you want people to die, and, yeah, no, and no. no one needs an AR-15, and you're a coward if you need a gun. What you, what you, what you need that for?" And it's like, bro, right. like, right, right. And for me, I don't, I, I, if you know me in real life, I'm a really mild mannered guy. I really yeah. don't enjoy a lot of back and forth. I'll sit down and we'll do this, but yeah. 
it it's just so frustrating. And like you said, you get mad. It's like, bro, leave me alone. I actually had right. another guy on the internet. Um, there was a conversation that I was part of where Coleon Noir, if, you, if you're familiar with him. I know Coleon very well. Everybody, it's, everybody seems to, to love Coleon or, or not, or not. Depends on where you are. Um, where he was saying like, uh, Elon, you should get into making guns, which I don't know if it was a joke or if he was being for real or no, no, no. It was Elon, you should consider carrying a firearm because he, uh, Elon's son was, um, had a, had a pretty serious incident where his vehicle was stopped and it was kind of a big deal. So, mm -hmm. um, and somebody's like, Elon, you should get into making guns. And right. somebody was like, Oh, well, if Elon made guns, something, 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 I'm like, I don't see the problem with that. Make, make guns, do your thing. Yeah. If Elon makes a gun, it'll be kind of cool. Probably, probably, maybe not. Who knows? But yeah. moral of the story is somebody else piped up and was like, you know, uh, no one needs guns. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Like, what, why are you even here? Like, are you a bot? Yeah. I, I don't understand yeah. this. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, bro, I don't, I don't have conversations with bots. If you want to have a real conversation with me, like hit me in the inbox. We can, we can actually talk. Let's get on, let's get on the video chat. Let's, let's get, let's get on a phone call and actually have yeah. a real conversation. But this right. back and forth thing where you have the limited amount of characters and people have limited amount of patience in order to read, like nothing gets the, the true emotion and the true feelings of, of, of a real conversation and that, that connection that people have when you're actually face to face or at least on a phone call. Like I value that. And I, yeah. I feel like it gets lost in these online debates about, Oh, should you, should you have an AR 15 and Oh, look yeah. at, Oh, look at these, those cops that were protecting the school. They couldn't even get it done. I'm like, well, aren't you the same person who just said that only cops should have guns and now, mm -hmm. okay. okay. Um, I'm, I'm lost. So yeah. I don't know. You, you, make, you, you, make, you make a great point. And we, in our organization, we have a term that I coined, we agree to disagree, but not disconnect. Mm. That means if you and I have heated conversation where you say, man, Philip, I just I just want to knock you in your head right now based on what you're saying. I say the same thing to you. You're obligated to at the end of that conversation, if it's an honest conversation and a difficult conversation, shake my hand. I shake your hand. I look you in the eye and say, you know what, bro, you're not going to change my idea and I'm not going to change your idea. But let's be civil enough to each other to have respect. That's what we need to do. And that's what we do at NACA. We have tough conversations. We have very deep, thoughtful conversations on the issues that we're talking about today. Red flag laws, um, concealed carry, constitutional carry, um, all those things. We understand it at a very intimate level. We have those discussions. And not everybody in NAGA is monolithic in terms of the thought process. We have folks that are different. Some people don't like ARs that are in NAGA. I definitely try to change their mind that obviously they just want to carry a gun. Some people don't believe that we should open carry. I'm one of them. I don't think any black man should open carry if you're not a trained professional. I think it's dangerous. And we have those conversations. Um, so that's that's the key with our organization. We try to be transparent, but at times there are some difficult discussions that we need to have um, as a community. Sure. And uh, so we, we have those, and I, I'm very proud of that fact. I mean, e even the 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 open carry, concealed carry conversation, that's yeah. that's kind of contentious. And you said something that might get me in trouble with somebody, who knows? But I, I kind of agree where I, I personally feel like if you're not in an active 
security slash law enforcement slash some sort of role where you're being asked to carry a gun and in some sort of uniform, at least as a black dude, I don't know about anybody else. I can't speak for anybody else. In my humble opinion, you should probably go ahead and conceal it. I think everyone should try to, unless you're like on a farm or somewhere. It just makes sense. That said, people will say like, oh, People can say anything. People can say, well, that's racist to say. And I'll be like, no, it's not. Leave me alone. And somebody else might be like, well, here's all my reasons why it's a good idea to open carry. And I would also be like, well, those are probably not valid. But like you said, we can disagree, but we should not disconnect. Because once we disconnect and disengage from each other in such a way that it's more permanent than not, like the conversation ends. And like, what do we have? And, and, And I'll say this. I'm not discussing or arguing the fact that you don't have the right to carry a gun, open carry if you want to. That's the law. You can do that. And I'm talking about Georgia. You can open carry in Georgia, regardless of who you are. I'm saying I don't think it's the most safest and most logical thing to do if you're an African-American. I just don't think um, that is the move that I would recommend to myself. I mean, my friends, my, my, my son or anyone. Um, based on some of the realities that we face. And that's just being 100 with everybody. Yeah. Um, if you want to carry a gun, conceal carry. Mm. You, don't need to, you don't need to announce it to the world. You can go into Macy's and shop, just have a concealed carry under your shirt. You're, you can protect yourself, your family, your, your children. But everybody doesn't need to know. I think people that have a tendency to open carry, um, and I'm not going to speak for everyone, but a lot of cases that when I see the body language, they're trying to prove a point. In a lot of cases, not all, but in some where it looks like they're trying to be, you know, macho man or, you know, the, 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 um, Diane, the diva type of uh, individual. Yeah. I just don't think it's it's, it's a wise move, um, you know, long term or short term to, to, to open carry. And I know we kind of went on a, on a tangent, but that's just my personal belief. What people folks do in their own in their own time and in their own way. Obviously, that's your choice. It's, this is America. Yeah. We have the Second Amendment. You can do those things. But I just think. If you're really trying to be careful and, and move in a stealth type of manner, I, you know, conceal carry. I conceal carry every day, everywhere I go. I always have a gun on me. Um, and I think it's just a less attention and definitely uh, you'll be in a better place. Do it. Now, really quickly, I just want to say, if you're here with us right now live, go ahead and fire in your questions because in a moment we're going to transition to the end of the podcast and then, of course, the Q&A section where we can ask Phil questions directly. Or if you have a question for me, that's, that's fine too. But most of the questions should be directed at Phil. And of course, if you have not already subscribed to the Costly Conversations podcast channel, normally the conversations are going to be posted there. But of course, we wanted to have a little bit more reach on this channel that's a little bit more established. So head over there in a second when, the, when we're done here. But go ahead and fire in some questions directly for Phil and we'll answer them right here on the air. Great. And Phil, so thank you so much for, for, for sharing your thoughts on that and kind of sharing where you are regarding, um, just some of, some of the, uh, the current laws and some of the ways that we're, um, engaging 2A as a whole. Now, I suppose the, the, the question is like, what is next for NAGA? outside of which we mentioned where we're maybe you're going to branch off a political arm that's not NAGA, which is something entirely different, just so we can kind of stay in in all the conversations and not be restricted by that current status. Um, My question, I guess my last question would be, what are you like, what's next for NAGA and how is it going to, I guess, be, um, well, what's next for NAGA? 
Well, it's actually multi, mul multiple things are happening. The, the first thing I want to let everyone know about is that we're having our national convention July 28th, 29th, and 30th in Atlanta at the Georgia International Convention Center. It's going to be huge. Um, everybody should attend. And the reason why it's so important, because this will be the first time an African-American firearms organization will be having a national convention ever, the first time. Um, you'll see and meet people from all over the country. You'll meet um, African-Americans who are gun advocates. You'll meet um, blacksmiths, I mean, uh, gunsmiths, excuse me. You'll have those folks that are um, FFLs. You'll have folks that own ranges. You'll have folks that talk about strategies on how to be a prepper. Every aspect of the 2A community will, will be shown in a very positive fashion. Um, thousands will be attending, and I hope everybody uh, takes the time to come. That's the first thing. Secondly, we have been able to finalize. Um, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit. One of the pet peeves I've always had as a, as a president of the organization, since we are a gun organization that stresses safety and education and more safety and more education, I've always felt personally that we need to have a training program that is of our ownership, something that we've developed um, and that we can have our members uh, get certified in. And we've been able to do that after about four years of hard work, a lot of um, a lot of losses and a lot of wins. We've finally been able to put together what I call a best in breed training program that has a beginning course to get certified in, concealed carry course, and of course our instructor course. Um, that's very, very important because we now can go out to the various chapters and out to the general public and say, you know what? Not only will you learn about firearms, but we can certify you. And the, the second step of, the cert of our course is that we're going to start going state to state to get them certified in those various states across the country. And I'm not going to say we're going to get all 50, but we'll certainly start trying. Uh, you'll see that in the news, um, state by state, where we are able to get a certification of our training curriculum officially um, on all three levels, beginning, concealed, as well as instructor courses. That's incredibly important for an organization because it lets everyone know that you have not only the technical knowledge, but you have an understanding of the bigger um, factors of getting your organization to have its own certification program for your people. Because right now we have members in every state. We have over 130 chapters. Um, I think the highest amount of growth we've had is between a Friday and a Sunday. We've had over 2,800 people join. Um, so members are joining. We just need to make sure that they understand uh, firearms the NAGA way. And that's what we're trying to do right now. Yeah. Well, there, there is definitely uh, a lot of room for education, um, especially considering if you, if you talk to any instructor, especially black instructors, they will say, yeah, you know, black people are behind the ball in regards to just the overall knowledge. Yeah. Somebody's grandpa maybe had guns, maybe somebody's uncle hunts, maybe somebody's grown up around guns their whole life, but the consistency and just safety and knowledge and understanding on how to safely own and operate a firearm and to, to, to kind of bring that, uh, um, just that, that safety in addition Correct. to a standard of, uh, proficiency. Cause you know, you can be as safe as you want with guns, but if you're not proficient, it's, it's not going to help you out. Um, Game over. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of see where Naga is taking that. Cause I've, I've heard you guys are working on the program for, for a, a long time. And I heard, um, uh, some, somebody in the comments said, um, was it Akil and somebody else, Tiff? We had uh, Akil Kadar and Tiffany Johnson, who, if anyone knows training in the United States, they're probably the two, one of the two best trainers. And they were able to 
develop our, our they were the architects of our of our um, of our program of our beginning concealed carry and, and ag instructor program. It's an elite course. It's very challenging. Um, I believe it's the best course out there, obviously, because I'm very biased, but it's an incredibly well thought out um, and detailed um, training program on all three levels. So I'm very, very proud of that. I'll put it up against anybody. Excellent. And we're not ending the podcast here for those of you who are live, but we are going to transition over to a Q&A program right after we roll the outro. But Phil, how can people find you and how can people join NAGA? Sure, they can go to www.naaga.co.co. Go to the website. Before you join, read about what we're doing because we're doing a lot of different things. We have, as I said, over 130 chapters. We have 40% women. We are very active in the 2A community. We have a a lot of different type of folks. We have doctors, engineers, um, mechanics, teachers, you name it, we have it. Please join. The organization needs it. And just let let everyone know, a lot of the uh, things that you're doing to support the organization goes to support our scholarship program, goes to provide training for free for women who have been domestically abused. And that's huge because unfortunately in our community, that's something that we do see. Um, but we believe in advocating uh, for our women at all times. So um, please join the organization. We'd love to have you regardless of who you are, where you're at and and uh, what you do. So please come on board. Okay, and now everybody stand by. We're going to roll the outro for the podcast listeners. We're going to go head right over to our Q&A section. So stay here, and we're going to be right back. Keep it costly. <laughs>